Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to First Freedoms live stream. And with me today, I have Professor Bruce Cameron uh, from Regent University. And Bruce, uh, it's a great pleasure to have you with us tonight. Well, it's great to be with you, Barry. So let me tell you, first of all, why don't you introduce yourself uh, to our audience? Well, I'm the uh, Reed Larson Professor of Labor Law at Regent University School of Law. Regent is an overtly Christian law school, and uh, and so it's a, just a, a great honor and privilege to be able to teach students and, and not have to uh, hold back on my uh, Christian uh, beliefs. I'm also on staff with the National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation, and the, the uh, Right to Work Foundation is a powerhouse uh, uh, litigation funding group. Uh, we were ranked a few years ago as the second uh, most uh, powerful law firm when it came to First Amendment litigation before the U.S. Supreme Court. Wow. So it's uh, we've had many cases before the Supreme Court. We file requests all the time uh, for review of cases before the Supreme Court. And, mm -hmm. and so I, I work with students at Regent with, you know, on cases that uh, were uh, asking the Supreme Court to review or they've agreed to review or other important uh, religious liberty and First Amendment cases. Right. Well, I mean, and that's a wonderful experience uh, for those students to have that opportunity. Well, it's 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 great for me. It's great for them. What can I say? It's just it's just all around a blessing. <laughs> wow, great. Well, Bruce, uh, the reason we're here tonight is uh, to talk about this uh, leaked decision of the U.S. Supreme Court, Justice Alito's uh, allegedly uh, majority decision uh, in the Dobbs case. And I'm wondering if you could just uh, outline what the Dobbs case was all about for our listeners here in Canada. Uh, who may not quite understand what all the fuss is about. Well, in 1973, the United States Supreme Court, in a case called Roe v. Wade, uh, determined that it was unconstitutional for a state to limit abortion uh, at a time before viability of, of, the, uh, of the baby. Uh, this, was, uh, <laughs> this was unprecedented uh, stuff in the sense that... Uh, uh, the grounds for the Supreme Court's decision were a bit uh, murky, to, to put it uh, uh, mildly. And then that was followed up by a, the, this Casey decision, in which, once again, the court put its, uh, grounded its view on principles from the Constitution that, that were not clear to everyone and uh, not previously recognized in in this way and mm -hmm. so what happened was in 1973 the united states supreme court stopped the national debate over whether or not abortion should be legal because by its constitutional fiat it prevented states from limiting abortions prior to the time of viability mm -hmm. well since then the, that has not <laughs> calmed the debate i just saw some uh, polling numbers that the the United States is basically split 50-50 uh, on whether or not abortion should be permitted. And uh, there are constant uh, efforts by states uh, to limit abortion prior to the time of, of viability in an attempt to get uh, Roe and Casey overturned. So the Dobbs case is, is one of those. Mississippi 
limits abortion uh, after uh, uh, 15 weeks, and that's prior to the time of viability. And so uh, as soon as Mississippi passed that law, it was attacked. The uh, United States Federal District Court declared it unconstitutional. The United States Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit affirmed. And then the United States Supreme Court granted review by the state of Mississippi uh, to determine whether or not it was unconstitutional for states to limit uh, abortion uh, prior to viability. That's the specific issue on which the court has granted review. So right. uh, uh, Roe and Casey are on the dock. Right. You know? Okay. Okay. So, so now uh, what a lot of people say is um, uh, looking at, you know, the various arguments that people are making right now when it comes to the constitution, when it comes to uh, these uh, very um, contentious social issues is they say, well, look, the constitution written back in when was the 1780 some that uh, this current constitution was uh was amend like it was uh, brought into being right 1780 some right, right the, the the first amendment we're talking about so it's the bill of rights yeah, the bill of rights okay so so now the thing is is that um people will say well okay but the constitution back then uh, dealt with issues back then, not with issues that we're dealing with today. And so we need to have some kind of mechanism to be able to modernize uh, the Constitution. And why shouldn't that be the court? I mean, th this is what you hear uh, being argued uh, back and forth. And um, what what is it that uh, the... Um, I, I should say, what is your response or what, what would you think the response is? I mean, we know what the response is now from Alito. What is Alito's response uh, with respect to this? Well, I, I'm not going to speak with, with regard to, to him, but the issue of infanticide and abortion have been in existence for thousands of years. I, I, I mean, hmm. this, this, it's not as if this was unknown at the time of the adoption of, of the Bill of Rights. And, and the general, the general uh, theory for uh, people who are uh, strict constructionists uh, uh, is that all the principles that you need to uh, guide and protect a free society are in place in the Bill of Rights. Uh, it's just a matter of taking those principles and, and applying them. And so the, the question is, was there uh, in the Bill of Rights uh, the right of a woman to kill her child. I mean, essentially, you know, whenever you think life begins, uh, some states allow abortion up until the time uh, of, of actual delivery of the child. There's no doubt, and I would say in anyone's mind, that that's, that that's killing the child. And, and in any event, uh, if you did not interfere with the child's development, it would become uh, a living uh, being, and so uh, the, the you know depending on whenever you say conception, you know life begins. Uh, if you abort the child, you have interfered with the natural trajectory of of, of life. Uh, plus, mm -hmm. there's a very serious issue. It seems to me, you know, everyone talks about racism and, and disparate impact on on races. Uh, the uh, Planned Parenthood was begun 
as an attempt to limit uh, uh, blacks. And, and they, uh, they put their, uh, their clinics in black areas. I mean, there's no doubt about it. There's no debate about this. And so uh, black young women disproportionately have abortions, and it has severely limited the number of the black population in the United States. I mean, this is one of the things that people who are interested in empowering African-Americans uh, say, well, if it weren't for abortion, they would have twice the number of voters that they have now. Now, mm. it seems to me that's a serious individual freedom issue. Well, so, I had, uh, I mean, I had no idea with, with respect to that on um, the situation there in the United States with, uh, you know, as, as you just mentioned, that is, uh, strikes me as something uh, very uh, egregious and uh, one that uh, you don't hear a whole lot uh, being discussed. But, but as we go back to this situation now where we have the U.S. Supreme Court is now looking at sending this matter back to the uh, states, it, it would seem to me that it's a... Um, um, the argument is, I guess, that the court is not the place to to uh, to deal with these hot button hot uh, button social issues. That seems to be what the reasoning is. is. Am I reading that correctly? Well, that's part of it. I mean, I don't I don't think the criteria is whether or not they're hot button social issues. The the question is, you know, what precisely is within the authority of the uh, of the Supreme Court. And generally, it is to uh, protect individual rights. And so with regard to abortion, if you look at the Bill of Rights, there's, there's nothing in the Bill of Rights that would specifically tell you that you could uh, uh, protect the freedom of one individual to kill another. That seems to be wholly foreign to mm -hmm. the, the Bill of Rights. So the idea is... Uh, well, is this is this a a matter that lies outside the Bill of Rights? You know, is this is this something that is to be determined by uh, individuals through their elected representatives? You know, mm -hmm. what what kind of society are we going to have? What kind mm -hmm. of state laws will we have? And so, uh, you know, if this leaked opinion is in fact uh, what is ultimately issued by the court or something like it, what will happen is the Supreme Court will no longer be regulating uh, the, the abortion decisions of the various states. Each state will be free to choose what it's going to do about abortion. And, and I will tell you, if you've listened to any of these very contentious uh, Supreme Court uh, confirmation hearings in the Senate, right. uh, abortion is front and center. I, I mean, these, these are like political wrestling, you know, political football games, uh, vicious, you know, mm -hmm. in some time. And, and, and the reason why they're vicious is because uh, senators have decided that issues like abortion ride on the shoulders of these uh, Supreme Court justice, justices. If they didn't ride on their shoulders, then maybe we would have more civility in the, uh, in the confirmation process. Right, right. Right. So now here we have a situation where the Supreme Court was dealing with the Mississippi law and um, it had its hearings, I understand, were completed in December. 
And so from the leaked document that Political put up just the other night, um, it was a draft that was written or dated in February. So can you explain a little bit about how the process works when uh, a court hears the case and then is going to be um, the judges are trying to make a decision uh, you know, they have a conference and so on. Can you just open that up for people to understand how that works? Yes, I, I'm a member of the bar of the U.S. Supreme Court and, and have some knowledge about it, although I don't claim to be a real expert. But, but typically what happens is the court holds oral argument on a case. And after oral argument, they then assemble and they take attentive vote on how they are going to, to decide the case. That is, you know, the nine justices vote one way or the other. If if the uh, chief justice is with the majority, then the chief justice assigns the justice who will who will write the opinion. Okay. Uh, if the chief justice is not uh, with the majority, then the uh, ranking justice uh, on the majority decides who will write the the opinion. The chief can assign, you know, the opinion to himself or, or, or someone else, and so uh, that is how they begin. Now, mm-hmm. that's not the end of it because uh, the justice assigned to write the opinion will then draft an opinion and circulate it, and it may be that after uh, the other justices look at it, they say, "Well, I've I've changed my my mind. I'm going to vote differently," or or they can say, well, that opinion doesn't exactly reflect what I think. And so even though I am voting on that side, nevertheless, I'm going to write my own opinion to explain my my individual different views. And so typically these things go through, you know, a, a number of drafts. And uh, it's it sometimes I think I, I believe my understanding is that sometimes it's, it's like horse trading. Right. where uh, a, a justice who's writing an opinion will moderate language or take out language in order to satisfy another justice who says, well, I would join your opinion except for so-and-so. So the, the, the bottom line is, is I think that's, that's how it works. You can actually see it in opinions where the, uh, where the majority opinion will say something and then the dissent will refer to that and you can see in the majority, there's a footnote that refers to what the dissent said. So obviously, you yeah. know, before they issued this opinion, there was that back and forth. And and so uh, the justices were, were discussing with each other what it is they were going to write. Right. So this, this is an early opinion. And in fact, uh, the chief justice has, uh, uh, has told the public that that is an actual draft that was leaked. Uh, so it, it's, it, you know, there's some question about whether or not it was genuine or not, but the court has confirmed that it, it is genuine. Right, right. Okay, now, uh, so we, we got an understanding then that when the court hears the case, has the hearing, there's that, that back and forth as to exactly how they will decide a case. And so that, that requires a lot of time, a lot of, a lot of study, a lot of uh, discussion amongst the judges themselves. Now, um, now we've got a leaked copy of of the decision, 
and we still won't know yet until the official decision comes out as to whether or not this will in fact be the decision. But the fact that it's released to the public, that strikes me as a, a breach of confidentiality that I have never heard of anything like that happening before. Uh, do you like, I mean, what's your take on, on this situation? Well, it's unprecedented. I mean, for example, the, the fact that it's a February uh, draft shows that this is still very much in play. Uh, normally, decisions are, are issued by the end of the term. And so it wouldn't be until, you know, June uh, that that it would would uh, that they could have until June in order to issue the opinion. So there are many things that could happen thereafter. And so what I believe is that a clerk who didn't like the opinion has leaked it. Now, you say you haven't heard of this before. I think it's absolutely unprecedented. In fact, that you know, I've, I've heard uh, a few people comment on this, and that's their take as well. I have never, ever heard of this. I mean, this is uh, something that's uh, very, very important. Uh, you know, the... Uh, uh, there are a number of former clerks of the United States Supreme Court justices. Uh, there are a few things that uh, uh, are revealed about the internal operations of the uh, of the court, such as I, I just described. But mm -hmm. generally, these clerks do not talk about this. I mean, they certainly don't publish any anything ab about this. I mean, they respect the integrity of the court. They respect mm -hmm. the confidentiality of, of, of the process. And so this is absolutely contrary to norms. And, and, and I believe, I mean, uh, clearly we don't know yet who did this. I mean, right. I suppose right. perhaps a hacker could have done this, but let's assume that it was a, a clerk. I mean, the, the number of, of individuals that have access to these draft opinions is very limited. It would be the justices and their clerks. So I assume that none of the justices in the majority or their clerks would be interested in leaking this unless a conservative justice had a, a, a liberal clerk, which is possible, who, who wanted to, to uh, affect this. So I think most likely it would be leaked by some, just, some clerk who is um, an activist, you know, and, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, wants to... Uh, affect the outcome of this decision and make it different than it is, you know, in the draft. I mean, there were five justices who had voted to support uh, Justice Alito's uh, opinion. Mm. So, you know, this, I mean, all these clerks are, are lawyers, of course, you know, and they have ethical obligations right. uh, to their client. Now, um, it's interesting uh, because I've heard other commentators mention about this, about the idea that it's, you know, conceivably it could be a clerk. Uh, I suppose part of the argument that one or, or one of the reasons why one would suggest that perhaps is the idea that, well, a clerk may not truly understand uh, to the great extent that those who are obviously sitting on the bench, but also those who are within the uh, traditions of the court who are staff for many, many years understand the importance of keeping confidentiality and a clerk may not have that, um, 
how would I say that that cultural understanding of the court, perhaps um, that may be one thing. Of course, like you say, we really don't know who um, would have done something like this, but certainly uh, it will be found out. Right. I mean, uh, because it's such a small group, it is something that uh, it, it is a small group. And, and uh, you know, so I think that that it's more likely that it will be uh, uh, found out. You know that that clerks come actually in different stripes. Um, uh, there was a uh, a professor at Notre Dame who I was talking with about uh, uh, Regent students working with Notre Dame students on religious liberty uh, mm -hmm. cases. She became a clerk to Justice Gorsuch, <laughs> and so she's obviously not fresh out of law school. But many of the clerks are are those who have uh, recently graduated from law school. Uh, generally, you do not become a clerk in, in, of the United States Supreme Court without being a clerk uh, for a U.S. Court of Appeals judge. And okay. so the, the typical uh, way to become a Supreme Court clerk is that uh, you would become a federal district court clerk and then um, you uh, are picked up by United States Court of Appeals judge to be a clerk and then there's certain of these court of appeals judges who are what I call feeder judges. The mm -hmm. justices uh, tend to hire clerks from those judges. And so those students, and these, of course, are extremely gifted students, mm -hmm. uh, become clerks to the United States Supreme Court justices. Now, you know, witness what just happened in at Yale, where these Yale Law School students, I mean, presumably among the smartest, most gifted uh, law school students in the country, shout down a speaker that they don't like. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, the arrogance of this is just unbelievable. What makes these students think that they should, you know, shout down their, their elders? And so it seems to me it's that kind of attitude that, you know, I would speculate if a clerk is involved, a cause this, that some clerk being arrogant and more concerned about their own pride of opinion than the uh, importance and, and, and the, uh, I don't want to call it the sanctity of the, of the Supreme Court, but, but certainly the, <laughs> there's a gravitas, you know, with the mm -hmm. Supreme Court that they're disrupting by, by this. Mm -hmm. And so that would be my speculation. And it's just, it's just speculation. Uh, you know, I, I have heard uh, others with uh, one in particular uh, noted uh, 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 law school professor has the same view as I have. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. So now uh, let's have a look at the reason why we want to keep this confidential. Um, it, it seems to me that the uh, the main reason here is that the separation of powers between the branches of government, i.e. the legislatures, one, the executive, and then the judiciary, is the idea that, um, uh, and in particular with the judiciary, you do not want the judiciary to be just totally wrapped up in politics in the sense of, uh, of seeking the um, um, just whatever wind uh, is blowing uh, at any given time. It's it's more uh, in in many ways. It's almost kind of like a monastery, right? Where you 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 put a, these nine justices 
off to the side so that they can have space from all of the political um, arguments that are going on in society. Yes, they're real people. Yes, they experience it. But the reality is, is that they are, their work is to apply the law to the facts that are before them. And they need to be able to do that without any sense of harassment or intimidation or anything of that nature. Um, and, and to be able to think is almost kind of like having a, uh, that, well, I mean, the Senate is the sober second thought, but nevertheless, with the judiciary, there is that essence of being able to be separate from society as a whole, to be able to make these decisions uh, without any formal pressure. And then when something like this is released, there is that sense of, well, we want to build up pressure against the courts to try to change its mind. And therefore, it seems to me that it would be uh, delegitimizing. It, at least that's how I'd see it. But. Well, I, I agree. With, I, I mean, Barry, there's a very simple way to look at this. I mean, just take any judge. You don't have to be a justice of the United States Supreme Court. You have a case before a judge. You mm -hmm. want the judge to decide the case based on what the law says. Do you want the judge to decide based on what the newspaper says or what or what local political factions say? Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's not justice. That's mob rule. Right. Uh, the, the, right. the great thing about the United States is it is governed by the rule of law. It's not whatever the king decides. You know, it's not whatever the czar decides. It's, it is a rule of law. And once you have the mob involved, you know, and the press involved and what have you, you no longer have the rule of law. And mm -hmm. so, I mean, from the most simple case before the lowest judge, you want that judge making the decision based on uh, a considered uh, review of the law and an application of the facts to the law. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Or I should say an application of the law to the facts. To the law to the facts, yeah. The other way around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah. So this is now, as you mentioned, um, this has never been done before? Like, there's Not never my been... knowledge, never. Yeah. never. I have never heard of this. I, I mean, I never, ever, in fact, uh, I, have, I have looked at what the court has done in the past. Normally, the public gets sort of an inside peek of what the court is going to do when these justices will donate their papers to a library. Mm. So years after the court decided not to take one of my cases on, on, uh, on religious liberty, uh, that a justice died and released the papers, I was actually able to see in his papers what the vote was, that is what the cert vote was to deny me review deny review of my case and right. so you you get those kinds of insights based on the justice's papers after they die but nothing like this when a case is pending before the court uh, before you know the issuance of a decision mm -hmm. yeah and uh, so now what would happen uh, to the person who is found out to have released this uh who leaked the document well they i assume that they would be fired yeah. as a clerk which of course is, isn't good for your resume but i will tell you what i i think there is an issue potentially of disbarring them because uh you know a, a clerk 
uh, very likely has taken the bar, is a member of the bar. Uh, the uh, the uh, legal ethical rules vary from state to state, but a uniform rule is that, or a uniform understanding is that a lawyer owes undivided loyalty to his or her client. Mm -hmm. So who's the client of the clerk? Well, the client for the clerk is the justice or the Supreme Court. Leaking a document is not, I mean, that's not in the interest of the court. That's the clerk's personal political uh, interest, I would say. It is completely antithetical to the interests of, of, the, of the Supreme Court. And therefore, it seems to me that uh, the uh, clerk could be disbarred by uh, this, uh, this, this inappropriate uh, attention to what the, what the law requires with regard to loyalty. Would there be any criminal charges uh, for obstruction of justice or anything like that? Well, I, I don't know. You know, it's it's. <laughs> I haven't practiced criminal law since I was with the Department of Justice uh, 46 years ago. So, yeah. <laughs> so it, I, I I can't really say that. You know, um, generally obstruction has to do. Well, I, I, I let me not comment on yeah. things that I'm not competent to comment on. <laughs> sure, fair enough, fair enough. Okay, so um, so now we we're we're in we're into this situation um and uh obviously the chief justice said he's got the marshal uh, which i understand is um kind of like a chief of police or whatever of the of the court i didn't realize the supreme court has its own um uh, police system uh its own police uh at the court and i understand the marshal would be like the chief of police and they'll be doing an investigation in this yeah, I just I just read that that they have two hundred officials. Uh, <laughs> I will tell you, things have have changed. Uh, when I first became a, a member of the the bar, the court, you paid two hundred dollars. You had to ha have practice for a certain number of years, but you paid two hundred dollars, became a member of the court, and then whenever there was uh, an important case, you got to walk up the stairs up to the courthouse doors, and they'd open the doors, and you'd walk in and then they they you give them your name i i don't remember having to show id they give you you give them your name they check to see if your name was on on the the roll and then they take you behind the heavy curtains and usher you into the courtroom and if you're a lawyer they'd sit you in a chair right at the very front of the court it was right. it was glorious and, and of course you were an elevated individual among all those others had to wait in line. You know, well, right. with the advent of terrorism and uh, security problems, the uh, members of the bar now get taken in through some side door, run through a metal detector. <laughs> you don't right. walk up the front front steps. They take you in a back way up an elevator, and because there are so many lawyers these days who. Who want to see the opinions very often the lawyer section is filled and you get to sit in a room where you can listen to a, 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 a speaker you can't see the argument you listen to the speaker and you can look around the room at the 
portraits of dead justices. So things have <laughs> fallen quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Okay, so um, some of the uh, commentators have suggested that uh, what should happen is that the court should release its decision without without delay. Just hurry up and uh, uh, kind of get ahead of the story. What do you think uh, of that idea? Or well, I, I mean, I would like that idea, but there's a very large practical component here. Mm. It doesn't get issued until the justices agree on what they're going to be saying and who's siding with whom. Now, if that's already set, I mean, if, if, if that's done, if they have finished what they're going to write, then it could be issued immediately. And I would encourage them to. I mean, an argument, uh, a case that was argued in December could be issued now. Uh, there, mm -hmm. there, it wouldn't be unusual for, mm -hmm. for that to, to happen. Very often, the more difficult decisions are issued closer to the end of the term but i will tell you if, if you if you were looking at the political impact of this um there's going to be um in this november uh very important elections in which mm -hmm. uh the democrats are now very unpopular in polls the republicans have a huge opportunity to take back the House and the Senate. It is a mystery to most Americans as to what the Democrats are going to be arguing on their behalf for re-election, but it's no mystery to me that if uh, Roe v. Wade and Casey get reversed, that the, uh, the Democrats will be arguing, you should elect us to help protect your rights like abortion and what have you. And mm -hmm. so, um, and so, I I would say that uh, you know having this closer to the the opinion issue closer to the election is probably not a good thing. Maybe issued earlier would be a better thing, in mm -hmm. the sense that since uh, Americans seem to have an attention span that's very limited, <laughs> they might have mostly forgotten about it by, by the November elections. Of course, they will be reminded in campaigns. I oh, yes. That. Yeah. yeah, so so I guess, okay, let's have a look for a few minutes then. What does this mean for the reputation of the court? Do you think the court has been um, uh, compromised uh, long-term, or do you think it all depends, I suppose, what... Uh, what will happen to the individual who did this? Um, what's your thoughts on the long term? Well, I, I mean, it's it, it doesn't attack the basic integrity of the court. I view this much like you know uh, uh, the uh, the art museum in Washington having an interloper come in and slash a valuable painting. Right. Well, that doesn't mean that the that the art museum is is any less important. Uh, it just means that you have an interloper, someone who is unfaithful to uh, their ethical obligations, unfaithful to their job obligations. And uh, and it, I, I think it reflects a, a larger problem in society, assuming this is a clerk. And of course, we don't know that. But right. if it is a clerk, then, then it reflects a larger problem in society where uh, young people somehow think that they know more than old people. 
And mm -hmm. it's just ridiculous. I mean, you have things like this Greta Thunberg uh, shouting at her seniors about environmental matters. So what rational person thinks that she knows anything about this more than older, more experienced people who share her view? Why is it that she is given a, a platform? It, it reminds me of the um, story in the Bible of, of Noah, uh, where he was, uh, after the flood, he was, was drunk, and his son Ham uh, goes around and says, well, Noah's uh, naked in, in, uh, inside his, his tent. And so what would spur Ham to do that? It seems to me that, that Noah is unarguably the most important man on the planet at the time. He had saved humanity. I mean, he'd saved the, the animals. There was no greater giant on the earth than Noah. And so this son lacked respect for his father. His son was, you know, going to uh, take down his father a notch. And I believe that that is an epidemic attitude in the world, in the United States today. I can't speak for the, the world that, that somehow young people think in law school that they can shout down, um, you know, people who are, are respected enough to be speakers, invited speakers. You know, young people somehow think that they can start tearing down statutes and defacing. You know, they, it's, it's just, I mean, it's an epidemic problem with uh, uh, young people that somehow think that they're smarter than anyone that has lived, you know, decades longer than they have. Well, I, I do do think that that is certainly something we see throughout society. Um, uh, the idea of putting down the old, um, coming in with the new, and let's uh, see if we can um, um, talk about just how horrible the past is, was. And uh, certainly here in Canada, we, we've got a similar kind of, uh, of uh, movement afoot where you know, we've got the attacking of statues and so forth and, and names that are being uh, destroyed. Uh, for example, uh, in the city of Toronto, there was a, uh, a street name of Dundas and um, anyhow, it was seen as to be a colonial name. Well, it turns out, even though now the city is committed to changing the name of the street, now it turns out, according to some historians, that this fellow... Dundas was in fact an anti-slaver uh, and uh, but anyhow they're so far gone now with the process they're going to change the name anyhow so it, it's just it's just uh, fascinating uh, when we, um, we we see this that this kind of thing okay so now as we as we look now um, uh, can, to the, Barry can I just say yes, sure. the irony is the individuals that have never accomplished anything are attacking those that have accomplished a great deal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Yeah. And uh, and and somehow it's it's certainly much easier to be to to knock down the institutions that have allowed them uh, actually to have the freedom to be able to speak as they do. And and that's the irony I find. <laughs> that's that's the irony. Right. 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 The the greatest institutions of freedom in the history of the world, you know, are, are being, being attacked. I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, the, the United States is, I mean, speaking on behalf of the United States, uh, it's, it's unprecedented in world history.
I mean, the 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 the, uh, the rule of law, uh, democracy, freedom of speech. I mean, this is just astonishing. And the fact that people would like to tear down the history shows a gross ignorance mm -hmm. of the history of of the world and and how things would be could be if uh, if 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 it had not been for the the Europeans who came over here with a with set views on 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 first freedoms as you have yeah <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> exactly yeah you know it it uh, we we have we have the history we have um, an, an experience uh, dealing with with the rules of uh, of uh, monarchs and so forth and we have recognized that when it comes to human beings being in control of others uh, there is this uh, tendency to really gain more and more power. And then once they gain power, they don't uh, tend to let it go uh, very easily. Um, okay, so now as we, as we move on, so um, uh, at the end of the day, uh, from my reading of the, the, even the draft uh, decision, is that this is not, um, like, I mean, any individual who wants to have an abortion can still have an abortion. There's, there seems to me that there's plenty of, of states across the United States that have um, uh, provision for abortion. But um, so basically what's happening is that the Supreme Court, if it rejects Roe, which it appears it will be, um, it, it now goes back to the states. The states will make up their own rules with respect to abortion. And um, uh, I guess it will be inconvenient, I guess, for a lot of people in different states uh, where they're going to limit abortion. Um, uh, what's your take on that? Like, like the overall net effect of the court rejecting Roe? Well, I, I, think, I think you're right. Uh, my understanding is that there are 22 states that have passed laws that would restrict uh, ab abortions. That is, restrict them uh, beyond uh, the the time of viability, mm. uh, and so it, it will be more uh, inconvenient to uh, to, in my opinion, you know, kill your child. But but think about this when you know, sort of a practical matter. Um, the the ability of of the unborn child to feel, that is, to sense pain. Uh, is sometime uh, just before 15 weeks. And so these... Which, 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 but by the way, as I understand it, that's what this Mississippi case is, yeah, right? 15 yeah, Mississippi set, set the time at 15 weeks. You After 15 weeks, you cannot have an abortion. Mm -hmm. And so sometime just before the 15 weeks, as I understand it, the, the, uh, the nerves come together on the child and it can feel pain. So these abortion techniques uh, involve slicing up the child, you know, dismembering them, mm -hmm. burning them uh, uh, with, with, uh, with uh, uh, something that dissolves the, the skin. And so <clears throat> when you say, well, it might be inconvenient for you to have to take a, a bus, you know, or get a ride with a friend to another state, I say, well, <laughs> uh, that's okay because I find it horrific that you mm -hmm. can, you know, kill your child and perhaps inflict pain 
on your child that no one would permit with regard to animals. You know, I mean, you'd, you'd have mob action if you start ripping Fido apart, you know? So it just, I mean, it's just a, a complete now, lack of respect for life, it seems to me. Right, right, right. And, and then, of course, um, many of people on the other side will say, um, uh, but this is uh, my right to do so, or at least, uh, you know, it's my body, my choice, right? Well, that's, I mean, the, <laughs> that, that is the, the argument. Uh, the, the problem is the, you know, my body, my choice involves another body, and that is an independent person who, if you don't interfere with what's going on, is going to become someone that no one debates is an, an, a person. Mm -hmm. Now, when I was here, when I talked to you last, Barry, we were talking about the uh, COVID uh, mm -hmm. mandates. And apparently, uh, a lot of people on the left think it's fine to force people to have an injection in their body for experimental drugs that the, the long-term effect is absolutely unknown. So what happened to my body, my choice, when it simply involves the individual? This, of course, involves another person. And so I think the uh, my body, my choice is, is a lot more um, uh, controverted mm -hmm. when we're talking about someone else's body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's, um, and, and I guess it comes back down, I, it seems to me that as a society, as we're going through this, uh, yet again, uh, abortion debate, or we're, we're going back to arguing about first principles again, aren't we? We're, we're go going back to arguing um, uh, what is a human, who is a human, uh, what are the responsibilities? It's kind of like we go back to uh, why am I here? What is my purpose? All of those kinds of big questions uh, that despite all of our technology, despite everything that we have, we are nevertheless still faced with a um, with with the reality that as a society uh, we are unsettled in the big questions, and and that seems to be to me what is at the heart of of the struggle. Well, I, I agree. I mean, you know, I, I'm a Christian, and uh, as as are you, and uh, and so it seems to me that that the obligation of a Christian is to share their faith, and uh, and this is simply a matter of converting hearts. I mean, the essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that He gave up Himself for us so that we can live. The essence of abortion is that you take the life of another so that your life is improved it's the antithesis of the gospel it's the anti-gospel mm -hmm. mm. and and of course um yeah and and there, there will be a lot of people who will of course uh, debate that and um and uh, it's okay to debate it uh but it is also important for everyone to have that opportunity to be able to discuss and express their views and even though people may um uh, find one another's views uh, distasteful. If we are going to live in a society where we're going to uh, have the freedom to live, uh, we have to be willing to to listen to one another's uh, views on these matters. And um, 
um, what we see developing right now is that uh, there's only one uh, particular view. Like, for example, here in this country, in Canada, uh, the government has made it very clear uh, the, uh, that, um, um, you know, you're not going to receive government funding for um, projects and so forth unless you... you uh, uh, accept abortion and you you won't even be able to run for the liberal party for example if you if you uh, do not have um, an acceptance of abortion and, and those kinds of things so it's it's fascinating to see uh, what's happening um, on both side well at least right now it's the it's the, the left side that's saying um, if you don't accept our view then you're not going to be you know, in Canada, at least, granted uh, various government um, uh, positions and and abilities and being able to uh, really be engaged in, in society at large freely uh, be, because of those positions. And so um, in the United States, I think you folks have a lot more willingness to allow uh, individuals and like yourself and others uh, having a law school that is in fact a christian law school uh you know those kinds of things um it's it's something we don't have here in this country and it's something that um, uh, you folks are definitely blessed with having that freedom to be able to express but of course we see it uh, people are uh, very very angry i i was involved in a uh, some years ago, I was in a march for life uh, and in Ottawa. And as I was going down the street, the amount of vitriol and uh, people shouting and yelling at those of us who were in the march. I, it was my first march. Uh, so far, it's the only march I've been in. Um, but it, it's, it, I find it fascinating that, um, you know, just just expressing your views by just simply engaging in a march is seen as a hostile act uh, by by some. And, um, and and so we 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 have to we have to find a way of of uh, working together. And I'm and maybe with just a few minutes we got left, I'm wondering if we can uh, just talk about this. Uh, um, Reality. I mean, these are very contentious issues. And how do we, how do we live in a society where we have such drastically different views? Well, uh, first, we need to start out with uh, some fundamentals. Uh, if if you need to Im, Im, uh, utilize violence to promote your point of view, you obviously have no legitimate argument for your point of view. I mean, uh, violence shows the failure of argument. A person who is confident in their point of view, a person who believes that their point of view is logical and well-reasoned, would never need to uh, resort to violence because they would be convinced that they could convince the other side of their view. Mm -hmm. And so right away, you know, if your default position is violence, then I know you are a loser who has, you know, no no good argument on your behalf. Otherwise, you wouldn't be involved in violence. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is this is the history of, you know, violence. When people uh, lose any sort of, you know, connection to uh, logic and rationality and, and they just have to compel 
others, you know, coerce others. Mm-hmm. And and it seems to me that violence has a um, uh, ultimately it it it, exp- it 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 there's an end to it. In other words, um, it it wears itself out. Um, you know, like you you look at all of the 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 evil characters of history, and and you see that that ultimately it all ends in failure, um, and yet those who who have the um, you know reason, logic, um, and uh, ultimately faith, I think, uh, plays a big role in in being able to um, in being able to bridge the gap. And many, many people down throughout history who have been brutally uh, treated, uh, who were nonviolent, um, ultimately win the day. Uh, and, and I mean, we've got great examples, even in the modern era. You know, you think of Martin Luther King Jr. You think of uh, even Gandhi, um, you know, who decided that violence was not going to be the way in which you're going to deal with matters. And um and at the end of the day, they, you know, their arguments are, are a lot more plausible than uh, than those who are, get involved in absolute uh, violence. Well, how, how about how about the gospel of Jesus Christ? I mean, yeah. the, the number one religion in the world is a religion of nonviolence. That's exactly right. And uh, in fact, uh, of course. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. was was one was who minister. Yeah. who was a Christian minister. That's right, and, uh, and yeah, I mean exactly, and and so it's um, it's important. It seems to me that uh, we need to relearn that extremely important uh, example. And and as much as people, uh, you know, struggle with this um, um, reality, really reality of history, reality of experience, reality of of even uh, neighbors who who hold these views. Um, it, it seems to me that uh, the time is now. Um, I'm just going to um, open it up. If there's anyone out there who would like to um, leave a message um, or make a comment, you're welcome to do so. And again, uh, you're listening to live stream. I've got uh, Professor Bruce Cameron. And um, if there's any comments, I don't, there's no comments here right now. Sometimes people say to me, well, you know, you never gave me enough time. Uh, I notice uh, on uh, at least uh, uh, one of our feeds, uh, it doesn't look like there's too many on right now. But uh, in any event, um, is, is there anything else you would like to share uh, before we go? I, I, I'd like to just thank you so much for your, for your time. And for those who are here with us, um, again, if you, if you want to uh, leave a message uh, or uh, ask a question with respect to this situation that we find ourselves in now, um, uh, please do so right away um, because we're ready to wind up for tonight. And I want to thank you for for watching. Uh, so if you have a message or you want to ask a question, just please do so right there in the comment section. But uh, I'm, I'm just wondering, do, do you have anything else you'd like to, to share? Well, well Barry, let, let me... Uh thank you and and praise you uh you know it's what could be better than to discuss our first freedoms Mm -hmm. i mean you know it all of the hustle and bustle you know most people are just focused on making a living 
and you know being with their family and so on and so forth and so i think it's important that that someone that you know groups are in fact trying to point our attention at what really is important for not only us but for our descendants i mean do you want your children to live in freedom or do you want them to live in some place like china you know or mm-hmm. russia mm-hmm. you know those those kinds of things so i appreciate what you're doing here i appreciate you raising these issues i appreciate you discussing these issues and i also appreciate your background of you know defending uh religious freedom and so uh what you're doing is important and uh you know i devoted my life my adult life to defending religious freedom and so uh you know i i just think there are no more important issues than mm-hmm. allowing people the freedom of choice to decide upon their relationship with god and and to share that with others okay Great. Well, thank you very much. Okay, I'm just going to give one more shout out to those of you who are watching uh, our First Freedoms live stream. Uh, If you have a question that you'd like to ask uh, our professor tonight, if you could just do that right now in the comments section. And if we don't get one, um, I want to thank you so very much uh, for watching uh, us tonight and engaging with us in this conversation. And uh, as we see this event unfold south of the border, uh, here in Canada, of course, uh, we have a very different type of situation uh, when it comes to how the whole abortion issue is being dealt with in the courts. We basically don't have a law in Canada. The, uh, The criminal code section that dealt with abortion was struck down in the 1988 uh, Morgenthaler decision. And so far in Canada, no government has seen fit or had just decided that they don't want to be even engaged in uh, uh, working on a law uh, dealing with this. Unlike the United States, which the criminal law is a local state matter, in Canada, our criminal law is a federal matter. And uh, so it becomes uh, something that engages the entire country And uh, so we watch with interest and we also want to ensure that in this country, as well as in the United States, that even though we have these very contentious issues, we have the ability to be able to speak, uh, to be able to share our views without any fear of any kind of hindrance or harassment or anything of that by the state or by even our fellow citizens. And so here at First Freedoms, even though you may not agree with the opinions that are expressed by those whom we uh, interview, or even with my own opinions. Uh, That's okay, because that's why we're here. We're here to engage in open conversation. And until next time, I'm Barry Bussey.